In choosing your life work, there are many things to be considered. First of all, you must know yourself. From the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is ReSound. Do you like to work with ideas, or would you rather work with things? New Post, New Post, full out of the pack on the Newport cigarette. Hey, my man. Hey, hey, what you sell all them pretty socks for? ReSound is a remix of music, documentaries, found sound, sound bites, and other bits of audio we unearth from all over the world. On the air, the internet, from a friend of a friend, we hustle for every scrap we can find and then play the best of what we hear each week on ReSound. What do you expect to get out of your life work? Many would answer money. As important as money, however, is the satisfaction that comes from doing an interesting job as well as or better than others are doing it. People call me the medicine man, Rhino Court, especially a lot of older clients of mine. Buterol, Lipitor, Naposin, Donovan, Asthma Pump. There are hustlers, and then there are hustlers. A good wheeler and dealer can talk you into a sucker bet or charm you out of your last crumpled dollar. Some are straight up con men, and others are doing just what they have to to get by. In both cases, they're enterprising, resourceful, even entrepreneurial. Just the kind of people you might want working for you. But hustlers, they work for themselves. This week on ReSound, you didn't think we were playing this music for nothing, did you? We're doing the hustle, baby! Now, in a city as big as Chicago, you gotta figure there's a whole lot of hustle going on. Some legal, some not. Of course, in the illegal world, things are usually done in the shadows. It's not like hustlers are lining up to be interviewed on mic. But in our first story, radio producers Ann Hepperman and Kara Oler take us on a rare tour of Chicago's underground economy, guided by a cigarette hustler who, for the purposes of this story, will be called Floyd. A word of warning here. This story contains some mature themes that may not be suitable for younger listeners. We got new post, new post, full out of the pack on the Newport. Cigarettes, cigarettes? I'm a hustler, street guy, y'all. Hey, hey, what's happening, man? My name is Floyd, my hustler cigarettes. Might smoke cigarettes, new post? I got new post, full out of the pack. I buy new post cigarettes online, no tax, and then sell them on the cheap. Super duper discount, it's the hottest thing going. I can make 200 bucks a day sometimes. Got square. But I'm not here to talk just about me. Chicago has all kinds of hustlers. Downtown, east side, west side, south side, suburbs. The underground economy is all over this town, all around you. I gotta get started if I'm gonna make any money today. Let's get in the kind here downtown. That's usually the first part of town I hit. Cause downtown, a lot of money flows. See this guy right here? Yeah, he got a squingy. Pull over. This is tax-free money. Get the horn. Hi, my name is Mark Jones, and I wipe cars down at Amoco. I started washing cars in 1991, and the car wash is right down the street. Just across the street. Now, uh, when I first started doing cars, I stood here, right here at this corner, 13th and Wabash, and I watched the cars come out. I watched somebody stop the cars. Would you like for me to drive your car? Like this guy is doing right now, wiping down this red car right here. And I timed it. Three minutes, he made toot out. All right? 
So I said, well, hey, I can do that. And um, I joined the crowd. These guys are looking to make about 15 to $20 a day. They use the money to pay for a hotel or food. And like a lot of us, these car washes use a legitimate economy to their advantage. Right where Amco's blacktop ends, that's where the guys set up shop. As long as we don't bother their customers on the lot, then they don't have to call the lawns. Just a few feet on Amco's blacktop, and they could get charged with criminal trespass. So they stay just off to the side. Because they already know that by calling the law, we're not going anyplace. In the shadows of the legitimate economy, it's my business. Each one of us are independent entrepreneurs up here. There are four of us up here. What's up, Am? How are you? Telling on you. Is it safe? No, it ain't safe. Well, we take turns. Right now, Tony's uh, flagging the car. Rick is, is obviously before Tony. Here is Rick. I'm just uh, interviewing about, his, uh, about the car wash business. About the car wash? Uh-huh. You mind if I finish this? A uh, job like this, and it's not a job, it's a hustle. You work like you want to work. At a normal car wash, how you doing? You're working for somebody else. The top money goes to the boss, so you're going to get paid by the hour, all right? This way, any money that you make is yours, all right? Right now it's 109, okay? I'm starting my day. Freedom. That's why a lot of people like being in the cash economy. You pick your own hours. You choose your own rate. But Mark would tell you it's a trade-off. You may have more freedom, but every day is like a hope and a prayer. The thing with this is that there are days like yesterday where I made $3. But then there are days that I can be out here and I can make $100. So what I'm saying is every day is a surprise. That's right. In the cash economy, every day is a surprise. Things are changing in Chicago. It used to be you could depend on the car wash to support you. Uh, this is a corporate street now. They don't care if you're homeless. There's a lot of buildings on my roof being torn down. Mayor Daly said he doesn't want another slum left in the city. My days on Wabash, they're numbered now. They really are numbered. Come on, let's get going. Hey, how y'all doing? Anybody need cigarettes today? I got Newport cigarettes. Baby, can you shut the door? Sure, I'm sorry. Now, see, in this situation, I'm like Mark. I use an existing establishment to find customers. Got Newport cigarettes? Am I interested in Newport Nobody really loses. The customers get cigarettes at a few bucks cheaper, and I may slap the bartender five now and then. So we got ourselves a little arrangement. That's how it is across town, at the Jewels Grocery Store, our next stop. At Jewels, you got a lot of customers who don't have cars. So years ago, some guys started a delivery service. Jewels knows about them, even checks their insurance and license to make sure they're valid. Again, it's a little arrangement, but it's totally off the book. Okay, my name is Leon Davis. I've been uh, delivering up here for Jewel approximately uh, five years. Deliver man. Most of the guys here are retired, and they just do this for a little extra money and stuff like that. We are better than hills. Jewel don't pay us nothing. We haven't signed no, no, no kind of contract. I mean, they authorize it, so hey, ain't no problem. You need to deliver? Generally, from here to 
40 and King Drive. Not today. Why not today? It's about $5. That's all you got? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. And then you get around about 45th or 46th, it'd be add another dollar. Okay, we ready to roll. We don't have to pay no tax on that. It's not taxable. But most people that, that ride with, they got the, the uh, special drivers. How far you going, man? 32 South Perth. You know, you be courteous to them. And, this person right here. And you take the grocery up and stuff like that. And that's why you build up a lot of customers by being courteous to the people. You know, that door for you? Mm-hmm. You don't know how much you're going to make. There's no limit how much you're going to make. And you don't really make that much up here. No way. You know, you, you know, it's slow. Okay, you have a good day. And I'll see you again. And continue to shop at you. It keep me something to do, you know, instead of staying around the house or something else, you know. So that's why, you know, I continue to do it. Come on, let's head to a street corner on the south side where you can buy almost anything. Y'all want to get out? Hey, my man. Hey, hey, what you sell all them printed socks for? What they go for? Five dollars for six pounds. Socks, purses, shoes, any kind of knockoff you can think of. Now here we all buying low and selling high. It's the American way. We gonna make arrangements to get a case? I usually stop on the corner and drop a dozen packs or two. You ain't gotta get it right now. I can bring it to you. All right. But forget cigarettes for a second. Drugs are what most people think of when they think of the underground economy. My name is Cinnabeth Cross. I live at Ogden Courts. Like in this building, you can see some people out there in the breezeways. They're selling narcotics. We used to have a building complex right behind us, but once they tore the buildings down. The drug sellers that used to be there are in our lobby. It's a whole lot of money floats through that lobby. The guys in Cinnabest's lobby is what's called the crew. The boys actually be downstairs bragging what you say, how much you get. I be listening. But they aren't the ones running the show. There's a such thing as, uh, well, the big man. The big man makes the money. Now, that's what goes out. But those aren't the only sales going on. The drug economy creates little mini-economies around it. Which leaves us women bonded at trying to help each other out. Even though I got a job, it's still hard. Paying bills, you got a phone bill, rent, cable. My name is Michelle Murray. And then the household stuff, and then your kids need shoes, and your kids need clothes, and need school supply. It's still hard. My name is Tony Knox, and I used to sell Candy out of my apartment. Well, I put a little sign up on the wall downstairs. Party wing, five of them spaghetti and meatball and bread and a pop, five dollars. Now, like she said about fixing dinners, I do hair. I carry nachos, Doritos, penny candy, the nickel candy, the dime candy. Sometimes I clear between 75 and 100 dollars a day. I do one head for about 10, 12 dollars. I came up on 80 dollars selling plates, five dollars a plate. Really that just helps me with my cigarettes. One person came and bought the food and went downstairs with the plate eating it and she was saying it was good and everything. It started knocking on my door. That's how I started getting customers. It was chaos. You have five children in your house and about 15 on the porch ready to come in. You know, I left five in at a time. Five kids in and five kids out. I made two big pans, but it wasn't enough. People kept coming back, buying it. <laughs> but I was doing all of this together, all of us, 
it makes life easier. We're feeling real bad right now because they're closing down these buildings soon. It's really going to change our life. It's going to affect our pocketbooks. What is money to you? What is money to me? Actually, it's a headache because if you know or somebody find out you got some money, they ain't going to stop messing with you till they get some of it. I don't care how they think they're going to get it. Borrow it, beg it. And I'm talking about my family, too. If they find out I got some money, I ain't going to have it except till they stop begging. And I'd honestly be glad when it's gone. I'm going to have to disagree. For me, bad times with it are better than bad times without it. But for high rollers, you have to worry about where to put it. You can't put it all in the bank or invest it. You have to launder that money, and that can add a lot of stress. Uh, my name is Sudhir Venkatesh. I'm a professor of sociology and African-American studies at Columbia University. And I have a friend, Nick. Nick used to be one of the biggest weapons dealers in Chicago. So Deer went over to his house one day and found Nick tripping. I said, Nick, why are you crying? He said, because I have so much money. He should be happy. I said, Nick, I can help you with that. I'll take some of the money if it's a problem, but tell me why is so much money a problem for you? And he showed me in his house, in the TV, there were stacks of money. In every mattress, there were stacks of money. He had money all over the place. But he could not do anything with that money because he made it in the underground economy. Meaning he could not invest it. He tried. He went to banks. And every time he tried to open a bank account, they said, well, what's the source of this money? So here's Nick with all this money and nowhere to put it. And he snaps and does something crazy. He has a garage sale. On the surface, just a typical yard sale with TVs and couches and microwaves for sale. But he sold all of this furniture, which had thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of cash in it because he was so frustrated. Crazy, huh? Sadir tells a story to make a point. Money in the legitimate economy is an asset. It lets you do things. You can change that money for credit. You can change that money for wealth, for property, etc. Money in the underground economy always is cash. And that's all it will ever be. A lot of these people out here hustling get caught up in the lifestyle and the money that comes with it. They get stuck. Some of the men up here on Cicero Avenue. Cicero Avenue is known, you know, prostitution stroll. Sometimes called the whole stroll. Another day, another dollar, another wall, another tower went up. Where the homeless had their home. Hello, my name is Gypsy from the west side of Chicago. Well, my name is Kat. That's my street name. And from Chicago, west side. This is the hard life. And we're here to talk about the economy. We're in hell. The money situation at hand. I ain't got none. Never would I, would I have ever thought that I would become a prostitute. Because I hate it. I have to be drunk or, or messed up to uh, go out there and date. As I said, my name is Kat. Been on the street 10 years. That's how I earn my money. As you want to categorize it, hooker, call girl, prostitute, whatever. 
I earn mine. Now these ladies here, Gypsy and Cat, who? They live in the hotel room where people come in and out all the time. Hold on. Basically, when I do go out, I'll uh, count up how much money I'm gonna need to stay in for the night. So you figure I'm looking at 50 for the room, $100 for the eight ball, 50 for blows. Grab something to munch. $15 for food. Smokes. We're at $205 now with cigarettes. You know, but mainly my money is just on getting high. If a guy pulls up and, uh, you know, he, he shakes his head or they say, do you want a date? And he says, yeah. I'll get in the car, either go to a hotel or, you know, just park somewhere if they want a quick blowjob. And I tell them my, my prices. My average is $20 for a blowjob. $40 for a blowjob. 50 bucks for a half and a half. 50 for sex. An hour is 100 bucks an hour. I don't care what you're doing. What's the tip? Typical day. On a Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, I'd average 100, 150, 200. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, it goes anywhere from the first date of 20, 20 or 50 bucks to thousands sometimes. Then when that money starts coming, it just, it, it comes, it comes, it comes, it comes. And then sometimes there's days I'm out there for four and five hours and can't make $20. Sometimes I'm just walking to the store and I'll catch a trick. And I'm not even wanting a date. But I'm gonna do it because I know there's money in my pocket. I've learned so many different hustles out here, it's not even funny. But um, the one thing I haven't done is I don't take money from no, from no tricks. I mean, not even a dollar, not even a penny will I take without them knowing it. Oh, did you need that change? And I'll take it as I'm telling them. You know what I mean? But I'm not gonna take it without them knowing it. I gotta tell them. It's very, very hard to find a real person out here. Very hard. It's kind of crazy, because I don't do heroin. So what the is really my purpose out there being a hooker to smoke crack <laughs> it's kind of stupid huh I used to be a volleyball coach I used to be a Girl Scout leader I used to be a lunch lady my daughter is now 18 my son is 14 and I have a five-month-old grandbaby and uh, 36 years old and the money just there's never enough money to get high and as my grandma always said, no matter how high you get, Kathy, you always got to come down. I get so depressed and I'm like, man, if I got just going OD just to get some peace, you know, to get away from the shit. I almost did a few times, tried to, at least. <laughs> I really tried. You know, reality is reality. I don't know if I'll ever get out of this life. Doesn't mean I don't want to. You know, but I guess I don't want it bad enough because otherwise I would have been done, did it. <laughs> you know, no matter who was in my life. But if I didn't stop for my kids, I don't know if there's anybody I, I'll stop for. You know. And with that, I'll end it. be hard out here, real hard. Myself, I sold drugs when I was young to support my addiction. Ended up in jail for a while. Now I'm clean. 
But I'm still out here making the easy money. It's a gray area. And now we're going to talk to a guy whose whole business is a gray area. This guy, John. He's hustling something people actually need. Asthma pumps. Prescriptions. Procardia. All types of medications. Donovan. People call me the medicine man. Rhino Court. Especially a lot of older clients of mine. Abuterols. They call me the medicine man. He can get what you what you need. Lipitor. What you've been taking. Insulin medication. Zoloft. Mm, hello. My name is John. Medicor. I'm on the south side of Chicago. Cogent. My hustle is medication. Napersons. And I try Dilantin. to give a legitimate service to people that already need certain medications. Celebrex. I just try to keep getting their medication for them a little less expensively than Walgreens. One day I went, had to go and see the doctor. And I'm sitting in there and I'm looking and listening to all these people in the, in the doctor's office, man, complain about how they're not able to pay for it. And... All at the same time I'm listening to them, I'm thinking about a couple of guys that I grew up and went to school with that's pharmacists now. It just hit me. This is a way to make money. When I go out to the house this morning, I'm going to see my pharmacist. Somewhere in the conversation, I'm going to tell him what I need. And he's going to quote a price to me, like 200 Celebrex, for example. Cost me 50 bucks. I break them down and sell 30 Celebrex for 25 bucks. I'm going to triple my money somewhere in there. Okay, here we come. We're coming up to Lorraine's house. We already did talk yesterday about the price of um, Dilantin and a peanut barbitol. Lorraine, hey, how you doing? All right, how you doing, John? Monthly income off of my hustle. Uh, I got your medication for you. I could, on average, make... You got everything I asked for? Yes, ma'am. $1,000, $1,500. Okay. What are we talking about? Same price we talked about the other day, $40. No problem. It's a sale. I got to sell them on I'm a good person. I'll call you this week or next week sometime. get ready for tomorrow. I'll do that. Thank you. All right. All right, you have have a good... All right. I'm not trying to give you something to misuse you or abuse you. I'm getting exactly what you going into Walgreens buying. New clients find mostly about me through people I'm already dealing with because it's not costing them as much for their medication that they need. So, you know, my name jumps around, man, <laughs> all around town. I just hope it don't fall in the wrong hands. <laughs> That's the question. What John is doing is illegal, but is it wrong? Depends on how you look at it. The service that I'm doing, yeah, I guess you could look at it as I'm doing wrong, but I feel like I'm helping people along with helping myself, you know, so I don't consider that really being a bad guy. That's the way most of us look at it. We all have our reasons for doing what we do. Most of the guys here are retired and they just do this for a little extra money and stuff like that. Some people are doing it to try to make ends meet. Even though I got a job, it's still hard. Others doing it for their habits. There's never enough money to get high. I'm telling you, it's a devil's drug. Me, I'm working towards my apprenticeship to be a contractor. But for now, what's happening, man? Cigarettes. Smoke. Smoke is the best way for me to earn money. Cigarettes? Cigarettes in my I need cigarettes, four dollars a pack? Cigarettes are something people always want. Newport, Newport cigarettes, $4 a pack. Y'all ready? 
Everybody got squares already back there? New folks, new folks, last call, full out the pack. Chicago Hustles was produced by Ann Hepperman and Kara Oler for the now-defunct Chicago Matters series. After listening to this story, you have to wonder how Ann and Kara found all the people they interviewed and got them to talk so openly. We certainly did. So we called them and asked. For this documentary, we decided to go to a needle exchange, um, a harm reduction needle exchange, to try and meet people to talk to. And there... Um, instead of meeting interview subjects, we met a sociology professor, Greg Scott. He ended up introducing us to our main character, Floyd, who's the narrator, um, the prostitute, and also um, John, the pharmacist. Huh. And once you got to them, why were they talking to you? Like, what's in it for them? You know, part of it is that, you know, obviously the trust from Greg, but I think that... Um, that there comes a point, you know, in kind of what you're doing that even if you're struggling, you want to share your story and share and share your life. And for somebody like Floyd, he really, he's, you know, he's a showman. He's a salesman. So I think part of it was also really fun for him for having us tagging, um, tagging along and, and, and uh, teaching us a little bit about another side of Chicago that we didn't really know. And I think with John, he felt like he was doing a service for the community. I mean, we all know how difficult it is to get how expensive healthcare is. So to be able to provide medicine cheaper for people, I don't see really the large harm in that. Mm-mm. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I wanted yeah. to call him about a couple yeah. things. <laughs> <laughs> I know we all need a couple things. <laughs> yeah. Ann Hepperman and Kara Oler. That dynamic duo has collaborated on loads of great audio works. To find links, go to thirdcoastfestival.org. And while you're there, you can subscribe to our podcast or browse our library of hundreds of documentaries from all over the world. Do you prefer going with the crowd? Or would you rather spend the day alone doing something you like to do? My name is Darren Atkinson, and I'm securing my artistic dreams with garbage that I hunt down and pillage from any place I can find. Dumpsters, the side of the street, you name it. And it works. I'm free. I love a bargain. And we'll go to great lengths to get one. But I'm not talking about a pair of expensive jeans marked down to 60 bucks. No way. I'm talking about three pairs of jeans, two sweaters, a skirt, and a leather jacket for 18 total. For me, it's called thrifting. I don't call myself a hustler because I would never wash, iron, fold, and then resell. Too much trouble. Who's got the time? Toronto native Darren Atkinson. That's who. This guy brings scavenging to a whole new level. I bow down to the real king of the hunt. Let me tell you a story. If Darren Atkinson bothered to draw up some kind of resume, he could reasonably mark down the following skills. Self-starter, entrepreneurial, independence, patience, persistence. Now, if he listed his work experience, he'd probably put down professional drummer, former studio owner, roadie, clerk, and dumpster diver. Dumpster diving, turning trash into treasure for a living. 
He's been doing this going on 20 years now, and from what I can tell, the gig mostly involves riding around industrial parks on the outskirts of Toronto, roaming past hundreds of businesses, all empty, dark, quiet, and lonely. Did you say it's lonely out here? It looks, yeah, it's kind of a, there's a lonely feeling about industrial parks at night. Well, they're not really built for uh, the people world. You know, people go there and they work there. You know, they're used for the sake of human invention, capitalism, business, whatever you want to call it. And at the end of the day, when you go home, they're forgotten. Check this out. Brand new in the pack. Look at that. Samsung. Disc repair. Look at these amps, this is cool. Bring it on, remote cool. control. Look at this stuff, nice brand new batteries. Oh, you gotta dig this, this is gonna be good. That's called data cable, that's worth 50 cents a pound. Thank you, brand new, let's go. That is a telescope. It's not smashed, okay, we'll take it. Whoa, there we go, Phew. I can trade for something, and I'm gonna get a nice phone out of this. I better get in here and take a look, look at all the helmets. What the heck is that for? Oh yeah, I love this, this is a tiny laser. Yeah, you can't do this job and expect it to smell nice. Come on now. Finished. We're done. Now, it's a choice, this career, he tells me. But it didn't start that way. Years ago, moving to the big city, digging around for work, the struggling musician made rent, got by, by rooting through trash and selling what he could salvage. My name is Darren Atkinson, and I'm securing my artistic dreams with uh, garbage that I hunt down and pillage from any place I can find. Dumpsters, the side of the street, you name it. And it works, I'm free. He's free. Free to roam these empty industrial parks alone at yeah, night. Yeah, some odd stuff here. We got moose antlers, deer antlers. <laughs> free to sell or trade what he reclaims wherever he can? Well, a garage sales, and if I go to ham shows, flea markets, computer fests. For whatever he can get? That's an empty toner cartridge, you see? And these things are worth anywhere from 10 to $15. So in the east end of Toronto, sort of way east, almost Scarborough, uh, on the Danforth, there is a storefront right across from a grocery store, and it says Basics um, in white lettering, hand-painted. The white windows are all covered up from the inside. They're just stacked with what looks like junk. Plastic bags, lots of cardboard boxes. This is one of Darren's five stashes that he has all across the city. Hey, how you hey. doing? What's up, Dominic? How's the spring cleaning going? Oh, it's great. I'm sunny today. I need a pair of shades and... You're taking yours off, and uh, look what I got here. I got a pair of my own, brand new, look at that. What do you think of those ones? Even better than the other ones I had. They're nice and silver? Yeah, they're, they're free. That's the best part of them. I... The place <laughs> is rammed with junk. There's this narrow path they can walk down, like a woodland trail that weaves its way through piles of randomness. Old drums here, a big stuffed animal on the shelf up there, a cash register, an old PC, a box of wires. Boxes. Boxes, Gizmos, boxes, widgets, whatchamacallums, just everywhere. Cable after cable after cable. You know, there's not really that much order to it. I mean, it, it it's, more like a, it's more like a timeline. 
something I got six months ago, something I got two weeks ago will be closer to the door. Something I got six months ago will be buried. I'm always trying to get back that far. Whether I get back that far is another matter. I've got an area where I'm doing repair. There's electronics and whatnot. That's, there's a, an area where I'm repairing optics. There's an area where I'm repairing uh, photography stuff. So all the high-tech stuff's in one area. There's an organ. Yeah, well, there, yeah, there's um, large musical equipment around. It just doesn't have a plate. I can't really stack that. That's huge. Just boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes of trash. If it's not bigger than a banana box, it's in a banana box. This banana box contains some fresh finds. Now, sometimes, there was more of these, but I didn't take them all. These are dozens of tea lights. And they're inscribed with the names of a marrying couple who, I'm guessing, never quite made it to the reception. Darren tracked down a batch of these and bagged a bunch. In the old days, I'd come back and keep taking it all, but, you know, I've, I've matured <laughs> as a, a garbage hunter. The hunter. Darren the garbage hunter explains his job as he digs through this box of tea lights. It makes me feel a lot better than being called a scavenger, but I do believe I'm actually at some process and I am hunting down things on the basis of some plan. And here is that plan. And why Darren thinks he's more hunter than gatherer. I never liked the idea why well, you would see where a predator had, had taken an animal down, but my father would always say, well, that's one, one, that would be one of the weaker animals. So in a sense to me, I wonder whether the people that are throwing stuff out are inefficient and that's going to come back to haunt them. And that in a sense is a weakness. So I'm kind of, I kind of tell myself, I'm just preying on some of the weaker companies out there. Their process is wrong. They're not careful and they don't appreciate the value of things. So therefore they're making mistakes. They're like a weaker animal. So I'm taking down or, you know, scavenging on the carcass of an animal that's the weaker one, right? And that is capitalism. So tell me where we're going right now. Well, we're going to, jeez, uh, I forget his name. He just called me up. Now, Darren also makes cash working as a drummer uh, in a number of indie and tribute bands. And that network of struggling and flat-broke musicians, they'll pay okay money for previously loved gear, like gooseneck microphone stands. But uh, he's a musician. He's going to use them probably to mic a bass drum or something low to the ground. And he says he's willing to give me $50 for them. So uh, capitalism calls. <laughs> um, what would what, you find the goosenecks? When someone gets... When they shut down an office, you'll see, or someone get kicked, when they move, consolidate, or someone's fired, they'll just empty everything off the desks. And these were just, along with the other office accessories, dumped, along with the kitchen cups and all, just, you know, everything. So you put the ad up on the website on Kijiji, and he called you up, and now you're going to go see about whether you yeah. can make a sale. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let me get him on the line here. Hey, how are you doing? This is Darren. I'm, I'm coming along College Street now. Well, I'm coming from Spadina, and I'm heading... Look, Darren's not raking in the mad money from dumpster diving. He says he's made 16 grand in a year, and he's made 40 grand in a year. It all depends on how lucky he gets and how hard he works the sale. Okay, well, I'll probably be there in minutes because I'm, you know, rapidly cutting through. But it really depends on the process. <laughs> okay, great. So, Cheers. before any money exchanges hands... And like any other business, right the dumpster economy depends on minimizing expenses or maximizing returns. You need a process. Next one. Okay, if you're going to drive in the night, you want to find as many right-hand turns and circular, if not figure-eight type of arrangements you can so that you're not stopping 
at lights, making a left-hand turn, wasting time for minutes on end. So in the course of a night, you can shave off 45 minutes to two hours in the same uh, run. It's about shortcuts. It's about doing things to save time. I can be more efficient now. I know how to make those decisions when to opt out. Before, I would think, wow, I found all this stuff yesterday. What's wrong tonight? I'd be out here for seven hours. Sun would come up. That's why I've used that term. The sun would come up. I'd still be out here getting stuff. People would be coming to work. But it wasn't very efficient, and it wasn't very wise, and it wasn't worth it. And it damaged my social life even more than it already has been damaged by this. <laughs> there, there are prices to be paid by driving around alone at night, spending hours and hours. I mean, you know, you have to pay the piper sooner or later for the energy you expend, and that means it's hard to get up, which I do now with my kid, my son. I get up, oh, baby boy, I get up early. I have to, and I do it. But, I mean, you know, you pay the price. You're tired. So Darren's got work-life balance issues to deal with. And who doesn't? Two kids he's got now. And a wife, Jessica, who, well, I bet you're dying to know what she thinks of all this. As you, you wanted to speak to her today, but as you can see, she didn't want to comment on it. She has her reservations about what I do because, well, she just does. So I accept that, you know. If she doesn't, you know, see that there? There's two tires on the side of the road. Those are motorcycle tires. Did you see that? And with that... Jessica's replaced by something shiny. Okay, we're going back to get that. Let's check them out. Tires by the side of the road? Okay, anyone can score that. It's when you watch Darren weave his way between empty buildings and carefully picking which dumpsters to inspect and which to pass on. That's when you realize it takes a bit of skill to make it worth the time. That's a good point. I'm glad that came up. You have to keep your eyes open. You know, you gotta keep looking around. This is Diving 101 here. Yeah. If, even though you think you know where you're going, always assume that you are touching the tip of the iceberg. Or the tips of many, many, many dumpster lids. You come prepared. I've used boots and jackets out of the garbage before going in the garbage. The snake knife's not out of the garbage, but the adapter that allows me to use double A's where C batteries are used is out of the garbage, and all the batteries are out of the garbage. So I use my own supplies to do my job, usually. And this is a good location because I can hit these three buildings all at once from one parking job, right? Instead of driving around. These are little small little tricks that you'll use because what you really don't want to do is drive in and out, no, cover extra distance, you know, for no reason. This happens a lot. In this bin here, it looks like someone who doesn't work here is illegally dumped, which gives me a bad name, which I don't like. And often with the cost of throwing out garbage these days, people are legally dumping a lot of commercial bins, which is a problem. And then this one here. You do have to watch, sometimes there's animals like skunks. <laughs> so, you know. You're wondering if what Darren does is even legal? I did. And technically, you're not trespassing until someone says you are, so dumpster diving exists in a gray area. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't the occasional brush with the cops. I've probably been stopped over 400 times. How many times have you been cuffed? I've probably been cuffed about 50 or 60 times. Darren's looking for profit, not trouble. So he manages this business carefully, bound by a set of personal ethics and general respect. Nothing. Hey, you see that there? I might want to check what's in that tube, but I won't. It's not in a bin. Sometimes there's like photographic paper. I don't know what's in that tube, but I'm not going to touch it because it's not in here. So, 
Unfortunately, it's next to the garbage, but not officially in the garbage. That's right. It's like you're penning for gold in a stream of waste, and you only work your own claim, not the neighbor's. Aha. This looks interesting. What is in this box? That's pretty big bucks. Looks like somebody bought a computer system. And let's see, sometimes if you don't get the computer system, you get the accessories, they're worth money. Like those are rails for servers. Rack rails. But those will fit. Ah, I won't take them. But in another case, I might if they were the right kind of racks. This isn't the kind that'll fit audio racks or media racks. If they were, I'd take them because spacers and rack equipment's worth money. I know about it because in what I do as a musician, everybody has racks. Make your choices on site, move on to the next bin quickly, and be prepared for a lot of disappointment. That is dirty in there. I'm glad I don't have to go in there. And that is too, that's hopeless. The rookie Darren made lots of mistakes. Wasn't picky enough, didn't know to be choosy. He'd simply grab everything he could find. I could probably empty this truck again and again and stay out here till the sun comes up. And I still wouldn't find all there is to find. The veteran Darren knows better. I mean, if I get enough that I can make money on the night, pay for my overhead costs, find some interesting things along the way, and do it without any hazard or hassle, or, you know, injury, then great. It's a pretty simple approach. And having spent about 20 years doing this, you get the feeling Darren wouldn't be Darren if he didn't dumpster dive. If I was a millionaire, I'd probably, in my suit, if I seen something, get in the garbage can, and why shouldn't I? Actually, I've been in the garbage can in a suit. I realized I was going to dry clean the suit anyway, so I just got in the garbage in the suit and the dress shoes. Wait, wait, when was this? <laughs> probably about four years ago. What was the event? I was coming back from a funeral. So a buddy's funeral won't stop him? I'm established. Why would I stop doing something that works? How about the disapproving stare of a loving wife? I found all these kids' books, you know. She thought those were great, but, you know, most of the other stuff she doesn't want to know about. So, you know, um, and I'm not embarrassed, and that's the way it's going to be. Well, what do you think it is about what you do that Jessica doesn't like? I don't know if it's so much about what I do. Maybe she thinks I could do better, or I could do something she could talk about freely to people. And why she would think that, why she's conditioned to think that, I don't know and I don't judge because really this allows me the flexibility I would have at no other job. Hey, how you doing? Hey, hey man. Don't worry. <laughs> the stance, man. The cool. super heavy duty. And the good thing about the goosenecks is they're not really worn out yet. Yeah, yeah. Because the problem with stiff. a gooseneck over something you can tighten is that... So if many of Darren's nights are spent finding and selling trash. Thank you very much. Tonight, he's made 50 bucks. It's not as linear, maybe, as it would seem. You know, garbage isn't like, I just get this thing and I sell it and I go and sit and have a beer. It doesn't work that way. Usually I have another plan to take it and do something with it, and then it gets traded for something, and then I meet that guy and he wants to record something, and it just keeps going and going like dominoes. It sets off a chain of events. You know? Like any veteran hunter, though, Darren's figured out how to track his prey. He can predict where the next big score will likely be. He knows what's worth the effort and what's, well, garbage. Look at this. That's a really big, very effective rack. It's really kind of cool to watch him go. Take a look around. Hang on, let me come in. There. You just sort of have to dive in with him to get it. I call this prospecting. 
I'm studying the pan before I do something about it. What you see here is a lot of stuff. Physically, there's tons of stuff here. You're gonna try and move this by yourself, good luck. If you dig through it without a plan, you're gonna waste a lot of time. So what I do is I study what's here. You take a look. I got, I core sample, and I will tunnel if I have to. I work in corners, because stuff don't fall in corners. They're neatly square. That's always the easiest place to work out of the corner. Once I've assessed the can after five or 10 minutes, you know, once you've done it this long, you can make a plan to take just the best stuff quickly, the least amount of work, and not get hurt. So this well, is how it's done. Common sense suggests you keep going even when the finds are few. To dig even when it doesn't look like you'll find much. And to trust that what you do find has value to someone somewhere. Check this out, it's brand new, vintage Hot Wheels. You know what that's worth? Yeah, the Hot Wheels set was pretty cool. It's a 1970s toy garage type thing. Okay. I don't get this one, but I, I, you don't argue with me, you find stuff. I'm not convinced he's going to get much money for it. But that's the thing with Darren. One. He's either incredibly optimistic, more Hot Wheels cars, or incredibly delusional. Okay, I'm no, no, some of these things are worth five or six hundred dollars. Because they're totally collectibles, right? Yeah, this is, now this is the stuff I, I great. For. We're done. I've been to comic book fairs, hobby fairs, gun shows, ham shows. And I'll tell you why. You get the big box, you get the people put it in their hands at these places and they'll give you the money. Good good price. Or I could sit on those Hot Wheel things that could depreciate, get munched, the boss could get damaged, I could yell at somebody for doing that, and maybe get $75 more later. Or forget I ever had it and move on to be a drummer, which is what I really want. My son might want to play with it. You know, if I like it enough, I'll give it to him. Well, I'm gonna leave my son a tractor trailer load of uh, heirloom stuff, and 40 years from now, he's gonna open it up. I don't have stocks and options and all this, but he's going to open a time capsule. That's what my son's going to run on when I'm gone. Right. People are laughing, but one day they won't be laughing. I may not be here though, but they won't be laughing anymore. Over the years, lots of people have come up to me, and the longer they see me do this, some of them actually probably think about it for months as a genuine friend, and they come up to me and put my hand, their hand on my shoulder and go, Darren, you know, i got to talk to you. You know, you're having a child, you're getting married, you're getting this age, you're moving here, you're doing this, and you're still going through the garbage. You're like, you're like a scavenger, not a hunter, you know? Do you really want anyone to know you crawled out of a garbage can because you had to do this and you didn't have enough nerve to get a job and get a bank loan? Who's going to give a musician a bank loan anyway? You know, I mean, I love the fact that people care, but really, they need to, you know, just let go. I got process, you've seen it. Hopefully it makes some sense. I think if people knew more, they'd realize this has been perfected. I'm using probability out here, game theory. I'm not just a sca random scavenger. I'm thinking about what's of value. So why would I give up something that works? I don't need to be saved. The Hunter was produced by Dominic Gerard for the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast Festival. Drop us an email and tell us what you think of the show. Send it to ReSound at thirdcoastfestival.org. Opportunity isn't likely to knock at your door. You'll have to go out and hunt it for yourself. But the opportunity is there if you're prepared to take advantage of it. What do we do to make fast money? Sell candy. Everybody remembers what it's like to be a teenager and want 
want to wear the same things, watch the same things, and just be like everyone else your age. That isn't so easy when money is as tight as it is for radio rookie Miguelina Erica Diaz and her family in the South Bronx. Making ends meet in their house means a lot of stress, a little ingenuity, and once in a while, a certain amount of hustle. I live in a society where you have to be tough and get fresh. That means sophisticated, with clothes, cars, and phones, or people will look at you like you're nothing. And this is not Manhattan, where Gatorade costs freaking $3. This is the South Bronx, where a lot of people live on minimum wage jobs, or like my family, on welfare. Rena, wake up, school. Four of my mom's eight kids are still at home. Rena, get up. And let's just say, we always need something. For my Chinese party. All my sister needs is $2 for mommy so she can eat Chinese food for her class. I'm scared. She's scared to ask because when it comes to money, mommy gets frustrated and stressed. She doesn't have much to give. My other little sister, Darina, is 12. They, they ask mommy for a lot of things. So what you have to ask for? Deodorant. Yeah, I want to be stinking. And me? I just started college, and that comes with even more expenses, like tuition, books, and transportation. Right now, I'm making the calculations of the things that I need. Last spring, senior dues gave me a huge headache. <sighs> this is killing me. $85 for my prom ticket, and $250 for cap and gown, trips, a yearbook, and a t-shirt. If I was rich, if I was rich, man, Oh, not even rich. If I was just, you know, middle class or whatever, I mean, if I had this, I'd be a little less stressed, I think. My tux, a hundred and about two hundred and some change all together. My best friend Chris wanted prom to be a night of luxury. My girl, my nails, her nails. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> Every day I go out there looking for a job. Got an application here, got an application there. <laughs> just... Just one week of work, my first paycheck will be helpful. When I asked my mom about senior dues, at first she said, Ay, yo no tengo. She said, no. I was like, this is really important. I walked away. Then she called me. Eriquita. Opened her wallet and pulled it out. Cha-ching. I was like, dag. Mommy's like super mom because when she doesn't have it, she always finds a way. Tengo... No food in the house? Mommy goes downstairs to get credit from the bodega. Or she calls one of my big sisters. Can you say soccer on the radio? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> my big sister, Evie, works in human resources. I'm a soccer for my family. She tries to always support my mom. How do you think mommy copes with her stress about money? I don't think she copes with it very well because... When she don't have money, she wants to be sleeping or she wants to be crying. When she's stressed, it makes me kind of stressed. Sometimes, my mom locks away her stress by taking pills to make her go to sleep. Once, she took too many and fainted on me. I had to pour water on her face and call the ambulance. So right now, I'm on the Third Avenue stop. All I need is a couple of more stops to Lincoln Hospital. Just praying to God that she's okay. The other way she deals with stress is much better. I put on some salsa, bachata, and dance with her in the living room. I cheer her up. I want to be able to give my mom everything so she won't stress or take pills. But I can't even help myself. 
When I need money badly, I tend to panic and run away from all my responsibilities, like taking care of my homework and being on time. All I can think about was making fast money, man. What do we do to make fast money? Sell candy. Would you like to buy candy? We start off by borrowing $13.25 from my mom so we can buy a box of sour belts. We flip that box and the next one to buy more candy. Oh, you like to buy candy? And by the end of the day, we have over $150. All right, I'm going to refill your box up right now. It feels good. There's no such thing as a slow day. A lot of people like the red ones. You're out there to do one thing, and you're going to do it. I know. You meet new people, and you get to see how you really are inside of you. Like, you know how you be mean at home, right? But you just can't find the niceness of you. You sell candy, you'll find it because you're being nice. You're not like, yo, buy some candy. Would you like to buy candy? It's four for a dollar. I can actually eat candy, but I buy candy from you. My little sister's name is Reina. That's queen in Spanish, my little queenty. She has the prettiest <laughs> smile, and that's her advantage. People think, how can I say no to this precious little face? They look at me, and I already know what they're thinking. Yeah, mm-hmm, you think you slick using this cute little girl? Let me get one anyways. Let me buy five. What do you see, Reina? A lot of money. No more stress, yeah. It's my fat, right? Yeah. Oh, cool, more money. <laughs> a few months ago, I was home playing video games when Quincy came in and surprised me with $200. I asked her where did she get it from. She said, oh, my friend had 400 and he gave me half so he wouldn't get in trouble. I was like, maybe it's true. Oh, I hope it's true. I was so happy about the money to really care where it came from. We went shopping for games, clothes, and a B3 player. And a ring for mommy. Why did you lie to me constantly yesterday? Constantly. It turns out that my sister stole the money from the beauty salon downstairs. Why did you lie to me? I don't know. Can you just be honest? That's all I want. I'm angry because she lied. I feel guilty because I wanted to believe her story. You're going to keep on lying to me. I'm not lying to you. So why can't you just tell me the truth, Raina? Why can't you just tell me the truth? For once! Most of all, I'm worried that mommy will get sick because she's so depressed. If mommy gets sick again, Raina, I swear, I'll make sure you go to foster home or something. Because I'm not taking care of you. You're a bad little girl. You stole $200 from mommy's friend. You can hear my mom crying hysterically on the phone to one of my older sisters. I tell my mom, we're going to work to pay back the money. When I say I'm going to make the money, I'll do it. You're my beautiful mom, and I need you, and I don't want you to get sick. She tells me she loves me and asks me if I wanted her to cook dinner. I love you too, man. I love you, My little sisters and I worked two times that week selling candy in order to pay back the money. But we only had to pay $60 to the salon. The owner told me she forgave Quinty because she was just a little kid who needed to learn a lesson. How you feeling, Quinty? Good. <laughs> All right, so we're going to do this thing, right? So just follow along. Chica chaka chinga. A few months later, I asked Quincy why she took the money. 
She told me she was hungry for a snack. I just saw the money, so I took it. I was like, I could eat with this. <laughs> <laughs> you could eat with that? Yeah. Yeah, I know. But I took them and be like, yo, that looked like my food to eat. <laughs> <laughs> we could have went food shopping. <laughs> we didn't buy food, though. We weren't thinking about the things we needed, just the things we wanted. We went to Third Avenue and bought my stuff. You know when you have something brand new, you feel brand new? Well, Raina wanted us all to feel as fresh as the first day of school. That was a fun day. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then it went bad. Duh, it went bad. Feeling like we won the lottery couldn't last. At least not in my family. I wonder if the stress about money will ever leave my family. I don't think it's possible. I mean, come on. That means everybody has a job, everybody is comfortable. That's not reality. I hope it's possible for me after I graduate from college, but I don't want to jinx myself. Anything could happen. Money Stress was produced by Miguelina Erica Diaz and Kari Pitkin for WNYC's Radio Rookies. Sound is a production of the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxi. The program is produced by Katie Mingle and curated by Johanna Zorn and Julie Shapiro of the Third Coast Festival. You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear hundreds of outstanding documentaries from around the world and subscribe to our podcast. Support for ReSound comes from Emma, a web-based email marketing and communication service helping businesses and nonprofits manage their email campaigns and online surveys in style. More at myemma.com. The Third Coast International Audio Festival is a nonprofit arts organization made possible with lead funding from the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Additional support is provided by the Agadino Foundation and the Menaki Foundation. The Third Coast International Audio Festival is supported in part by a grant from the Illinois Arts Council, a state agency. Special thanks to our many individual contributors from Chicago and around the world. The Third Coast Festival was founded in 2000 by WBEZ Chicago. If you want to contact us, we would love to hear from you. Email us at resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. You can also connect with us through Facebook and Twitter. Resound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else unless you live everywhere else.